we've been talking together uh, the last few weeks about the other 167. The idea that uh, there are 168 hours in a week and we're together for one of them. What do we do and who are we for the other 167? And uh, we've been talking about that for about six weeks now. I want to uh, conclude uh, our thoughts on the other 167 this morning as we think together about the disciples' toolkit. The disciples' toolkit. Uh, in your garage, in your shop or your shed, you've got, that's where you keep all your tools. And you need to fix something, you might be able to take what needs to be fixed out to that shed or that garage and get your tools and, and do what you got to do. But a lot of times, what needs to be worked on is not in your shed or your garage. And instead of bringing what needs to be fixed to the garage, you need to take your tools to where you need to get the work done. And so the way you do that is a toolkit. The, the toolkit helps us get out of the garage and out where the work needs to be done. And disciples have our own toolkits. We come on Sunday morning, and that's, that's where it begins. But what we need are some tools that we can use out in the world where the work needs to be done. And so we have a toolkit, and inside our toolkit, there are a number of tools that we can use as disciples to serve the Lord faithfully and get the work done. But I want to share with you what's in the disciples' toolkit this morning. We're going to start in Ephesians chapter 6. We're not going to stay there long. I'll give you a fair warning. But we are going to start in Ephesians chapter 6 at verse 18. If you want to turn with me there in your copy of Scripture, or if you like to follow along in the Bible app, the event is set up this morning, so you can follow along in that way as well. And as we, uh, as we think about what's in the disciples' toolkit, um, the first thing that comes to mind is prayer. And I know that uh, the room is so big and this is so small, it may be a little bit hard to see, but this is a, a, a sculpture um, of the, the very famous praying hands. We got that in the Holy Land a very long time ago, uh, made out of olive wood. But uh, it it's depicts the, the praying hands and reminds us that uh, a big part of our toolkit is prayer. And we can pray wherever we are, uh, whenever it is, all 168 hours within the week. If you look with me in Ephesians chapter 6 at verse 18, we want to begin there. It says in Ephesians 6, praying at all times in the Spirit. So he tells us what we, are, what we want to be doing as disciples. As disciples, we are to be praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. He says, what, what does it look like to be a disciple? Well, we are those who are praying at all times. I thought it was interesting when I read through all the times that he uses the word all in this short sentence. Praying at all times in the Spirit. That might speak to some of us today because many times we hold prayer until we need. 
We don't think about prayer until there's a need, until somebody's sick or until we can't pay the bills or until we're worried about this or that. And so we use prayer as a way to say, God, help me. And that's obviously fine and that's good and that's part of prayer. But that's not the way we were intended to pray. It says praying at all times in the Spirit. Not just when we need something, but we pray all times. Why? Because God is not a cosmic Santa Claus who's waiting to get your wishing list and then give you what you ask for. He is a loving Heavenly Father who wants to have a relationship and interact with you. Prayer is not really about giving Him your shopping list as much as it is about interacting with Him and communicating with Him on a regular basis. And so Paul says to the Ephesians that we are to be praying at all times in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit guides that prayer time. And he says, with all prayer and supplication. Now, the fact that that's all prayer and supplication it, it implies to me that there are many different kinds of prayer. He says all prayer. Supplication is, by the way, where we ask for things, and so it is biblical to do that, absolutely. But we pray all prayer and supplication. So there are a lot of different kinds of prayers. We, we pray prayers of praise to Him. We pray prayers of thanksgiving. We pray prayers of, of uh, concern for ourselves. We pray prayers of concern for others. And sometimes, sometimes you can't put a defining name on our prayers. We're just talking. You ever do that? I hope you do. I hope when you're the only one in the car and you're driving down the highway, you're talking to him with your eyes open. <laughs> I hope that when you get up in the morning, you just kind of start realizing his presence, knowing he's there. And so you kind of talk with him. Maybe it's just in your head. Maybe it's even more of a thing that happens in your heart and there aren't real words to put to it. But for 168 hours a week, we can communicate with our Father who loves us and wants to have a relationship with us. The very essence of being a Christian is having a relationship with God through Christ. And prayer is the primary way we experience that relationship. It's not just to get help when we're in trouble. In Romans 12 and 12, it says it this way, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation. Those make sense, don't they? Rejoice when things are going good. Yeah! And when things are going bad, be patient. Hang in there. We get that. And then look at the last phrase, be constant in prayer. He says, so when things are going great, what do you do? You pray. When you're in time of tribulation, what do you do? You pray. You see, it's the constant part of prayer that I think perhaps we overlook sometimes and we cheat ourselves out of the opportunities to relate to an almighty God who is also the heavenly father. So one of the important things, perhaps the, the, the place where it begins, one of the important things in the disciples' toolkit is prayer. We begin there and we continue there 168 hours a week. There's another tool we find in the disciples' toolkit. 
We talked a little bit about that with the, the children just a minute ago, and, and that is, that's just the Bible. And a few weeks ago, we talked about Scripture, and we reminded ourselves out of James that we're not just to be hearers, but to be doers as well. So we can hear during the one hour, but then we want to do during the other 167. And so the Bible is an important part in our toolkit. Remember, the toolkit is what we carry with us out to where the work needs to be done. It's, it's what we have with us day in and day out for the other 167. It's the way that God speaks to us. I understand, my, I understand conversation with God as a two-way conversation in that I talk to him through prayer and then he talks to me through his Bible. I've never heard God audibly speak a word. Now, I have, I have sensed his moving. I've, I've been clear on his direction. He has spoken to me through his Holy Spirit, but I've never heard him audibly speak a word. However, he speaks to me in these words, in the scriptures. That's the way the conversation works. I talk through prayer. He talks to me through Scripture. And so the Bible is a, is a vitally important part in the disciples' toolkit. In Joshua 1.8 it says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Now, that caught my attention as I prepared this week because I often think of the Bible as coming into my mind. I read it. It comes in my mind. If, if I meditate on it and I work on it, and I memorize it, then I can move it to my heart, and it becomes a part of who I am. But this scripture says, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. And I had to think through that just a little bit, and I think what the scripture is saying is, once, it, once you have brought it into your mind by reading it and thinking about it, and then you have meditated on it and perhaps even memorized it so that it's a part of your heart, then it's actually a part of your life. And because it's a part of your life, you wind up talking about it. Now, you may not walk up to your friend and say, Ephesians 6.18 says, but it's a part of your daily conversation because it's a part of who you are. And so the conversation with the friend is, man, prayer is something that, that I can't live without. How does prayer work in your life? And what you're doing is talking Ephesians that we just looked at, Ephesians 6.18. You see, so it, it, it's not that you're necessarily quoting word for word or knowing the address of every verse, but it is that it has become such a part of you that it's just a part of your normal everyday conversation. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you're always wanting to hear from God and you're thinking about what he has just told you. So that, it continues, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. The point is not to be able to check off, I read it, I did it, I'm a good little Christian. The point is to then go and do. Remember? We talked about that in James and now we see it in Joshua. So that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then... You will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. It is in the doing, not the reading, that brings a successful life for the believer. 
And so how does that work in an everyday situation? Let, let, me, let me put it in, in a, a, a very simple form. And, I, and this is actually something that I used with uh, GA Camp many, many years ago. And these were um, uh, first through third grade GAs. And we were talking about how to pray and how to read the Bible and how do you make all this work. So this is what we did. We said you st- there's a five-step process. You start, you pray, then you read, then you think, and then you pray again. You, you pray. We forgot one. You get quiet. Get quiet. Pray. Read. Think. Pray again. Every day, you find a spot, you get quiet. The reason you get quiet is because it's hard to hear when there's too much noise. It's hard to hear when the TV is on, when the radio is going. It's hard to hear when there are people about. It's hard to hear when our focus is on our calendar. It's hard to hear when we can't turn Facebook off. So we stop. We get quiet. My only purpose for this next five minutes is to talk and listen to God. And I'm not saying you do this for hours. I'm saying five minutes. Somebody says five minutes isn't enough. That's great. I'm so glad to hear that. But I also know that most of us in the room don't even spend the five minutes every day. So I encourage you to challenge you. Five minutes. Get quiet. Pray. What is that prayer? That first prayer is not long at all. You're not asking for help for anybody else or anything. The first prayer is actually very short. The first prayer is, God, show me something. If you want to use a scriptural basis for it, it's very simple. Psalm 119, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. The first thing I do is get quiet. The second thing I do is pray, God, show me something. The third thing I do is read. Now, when it's time to read, I'm not going to necessarily, I'm not going to necessarily pick up and ex- expect to read two or three or four chapters. I don't, I don't need to read a book. I need to read until God says something. And it really helps, by the way, it really helps if you have some kind of plan I think the best plan, the best plan that ever worked for me personally was I decided to go through the book of John, and it took me a long time. I started in John 1.1, and I sat down and I said, okay, God, please show me something today. John 1.1, in the beginning, whoa, was the word. He was before anything else. How does that work? What does that mean? And you spend some time thinking. Now, there are times to read entire books and entire chapters, but that's not this purpose. This purpose, this opportunity, is, is to have a communication time with God. And so you're looking at, it may take you three or four verses. It may take you a chapter before God says something. You read until he speaks. If he speaks in the very first word, you're ready. You pray, God, show me something. You read 
as soon as you find something from him, you stop and you think. Process it. What is he saying? What does it mean? How do I apply it? What do I do about it? And then you pray again. And this prayer is where you pray over what you learned, but then you pray for your kids and your grandkids and your boss and your neighbor. You pray for yourself. This is where, this is where those prayers take place, after you've already communicated with him. If you'll do that every single day, you'll be amazed, not only in what you learn, but how your life changes and you become more like Jesus. Get quiet, read, pray, read, think, pray again. The Bible is a primary tool in the disciples' toolkit. But like most tools, we need to learn how to use it. Most tools, you have to use it in the right way for it to, to do what it's supposed to do. The Bible is the same way. We want to see it as God talking to us. We don't want to see it as a burden or a hurdle that I have to read this big old long book. We want to see it as a chance for God to speak. And so we're going to read until he does. And then we're going to thank him for it and work through it and process it. It's a tool that we need to use correctly. So in the disciples toolkit, we have prayer. We have the Bible. And I want to suggest another one to you. This is just a simple journal. Journaling is another tool in the disciples' toolkit. It's often overlooked. But I want to suggest to you, and the Bible doesn't say specifically anything about writing or journaling. However, in the verse that we looked at not long ago in Joshua 1.8, it said, this book of the law shall not depart from my mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. And one of the best ways that I found, and many others have found, to meditate on it is journaling. And the reason I like journaling, one of the reasons I like journaling is that there, there's more than one way to do it, and it fits so many different personalities. You've heard that, that folks are uh, often divided into right brain people and left brain people. Now psychologists are starting to think that it really doesn't have that much to do with our biology or you know, the way the, the brain is, is put together after all. But I think we could still agree that there are some people who are logical, objective, number, language people, and then there are folks who are uh, creative, um, emotion, um, uh, dreaming, uh, feeling kind of people. And so the reason this works so well is if you're kind of a numbers, logic, language person like I am, then, then your, your journaling is... Today, I thought about this. God taught me that. I wonder what I can do about so-and-so. I'm going to try this and date it. If you're the other kind of person is creative and kind of you, 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 you process things in, in a different level, it's, it's more of an emotional experience for you, then your journal is this beautiful 
picture, this, this little doodle, and, and this become very fame, very common in the last 10 years or so. You can buy a Bible now that is a journaling Bible, and the whole side is open just for your doodles and your drawings and, your, and the way you depict what you're experiencing. And that is an incredible way to meditate on the Word. That's our goal is to meditate. Whichever way works for you is wonderful. As long as it's got you processing it and thinking about it, you meditate on it day and night. Journaling is, I think, the best way for us to do that. It helps us think it through and make it our own. So a journal is another tool in the, the toolkit. And then the fourth tool in the toolkit is serving. And I showed you this. I've showed it to you a number of times. I showed it to you recently, just a week or two ago. But this is similar to the towel that Jesus would have used when he washed the disciples' feet. Your toolkit needs to have a towel in it. The disciples' toolkit includes serving one another. In 1 Peter chapter 4, it says, As each has received a gift, Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Now, I want you to see something that I think is very important that we often overlook. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. You have at least one gift. You probably have more than one spiritual gift. You have gifts that make you unique. However, did you realize that your gift was not given to you to make you special? Your gift was given to you so that you could serve others on Jesus' behalf, thereby bringing him glory. Your gift is for his glory. Each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. A steward is not an owner, but one who takes care of something. In this case, he's saying, if you serve one another, then you demonstrate God's grace. And as you demonstrate God's grace, that brings him glory. And so we serve one another. Your, a towel should be in every disciple's toolkit. And one, uh, one other tool in our toolkit is an empty plate. Fasting. Now, Scripture never commands fasting. It does command prayer. It does command reading the Word. It does command that we meditate. It does command that we serve. But it never commands fasting. However, there are many examples in Scripture of people fasting, one of whom was Jesus Christ. He sets our example. He fasted. He fasted before he began his ministry, fasted 40 days. He fasted in a way that connected him to the Father in a very real and personal and powerful way. And in the, uh, it, 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 the early years of the church, the disciples fasted. We see that recorded on, in more than one place in Acts. Fasting was a part of their experience. And I want to say to you this morning that perhaps it should be a part of our experience as well. Not on a regular basis, 
not, not out of a, a, a legal sense or obeying a command, but in a specific time period. For most of us, that needs to be a very short time period. But for a specific time period, after a specific goal, God might call us to a time of fasting. In the Sermon on the Mount, notice Jesus' words. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who's in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. It's about you and God. No one else needs to know about it, so you do it in a secretive way. But the, the, what I found interesting in this verse, highlighted for you up there, notice it says when you fast. It didn't say if you fast. But when? Jesus assumes his disciples will be fasting. And when you do that, do it in this way. So I want to encourage you to consider fasting in those moments, those times in which you, you really need to hear from God. You really need to focus on him for a, a specific time and a specific purpose. And remember that it is not about food. Fasting is about focus. It's not about food. Fasting says that I'm going to set everything else in my normal everyday life aside so I can really focus on God and hear from Him. That's the goal in fasting. So fasting is one of the tools in the toolkit. And then another tool is community. And in my toolkit, that looks like a cell phone. Because it is this, is, this is a symbol of connecting to other people. And that's what community is all about. God intends us to connect with one another. Not only the one hour, but the rest of the 167 as well. That he intends his people to connect with one another. To have community. In Romans 12, it says it this way, as in one body we have many members and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ. That makes sense. We're each like, like different parts of the body and together we make up this one body of Christ. We've talked about that so often, we get that, but look at the last phrase. And individually, members one of another. In other words, we belong to each other. Not only do we make up the body of Christ and therefore we are one, but each of us belongs to the other. There's a connection in God's family. We're supposed to stay connected. That's why you need to be in a life group or a small group. That's why you need to make sure your closest friends and the advisors upon whom you depend the most are believers. That's why we need to spend time together, take care of one another, serving one another. It's all about community. And so Hebrews says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. When it's time to get out there in the world and do the work that needs to be done, let us figure out how we can encourage one another to take our toolkits where the work is and get the work done. But the way that happens is when we encourage one another. 
not neglecting to meet together. So don't go out of here saying, for the last six weeks, the preacher has said, we don't have to go to the one hour, we only have to worry about the 167. That's not what we've said. It says, do not neglect to meet together. You need the one, so you're ready for the 167. But being a believer, being a disciple, is all 168 hours. And so we want to be in community, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. And folks, the day is drawing near. We need each other. We need community. Don't leave that out of your toolkit. You were never intended to be a Lone Ranger Christian. We were always intended to be family.